What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What's Good Games Live for Monday, April 6th, 2020. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello. And Miss Tara Bruno is here joining us. Hey! I guess I should technically call you Mrs. Tara Bruno since you are a Mrs. Yes, I um, am. But I'm so glad that we finally got this to work. Yes. I know that we've been talking about getting you on What's Good Games for a very long time. And now, because of all of the quarantine, we were able to make it happen. We got time. Exactly. Um, So for people who aren't familiar or maybe don't follow any of us on Twitter, uh, Tara is president of the Tara Bruno PR company, and she has been working in video games publicity for just a couple of years. Would you say just a couple of years? Yeah, like three. (laughs) (laughs) Over 20 years old. Damn. That is a lot of years to be working, not just to, to be working in video games. But we're going to talk about Tara and Tara's career uh, in just a little bit. But we want to say hello and welcome to everybody who is joining us live at twitch.tv slash what's good games. If you guys have not had the opportunity, we do stream what's good games live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific. And we hope that sometime you guys can join us in the chat. Because if you didn't hear, we're a big girl affiliate now. Woo! Woo! And uh, Brit's emote got added over the weekend. Oh, did it? Oh, oh yes. People have been using that emote left and right. Not only has it been made into an Animal Crossing flag that you can put in your island in New Horizon, but it also is now in Twitch chat. See? Sapphire Diamond Ruby throwing up the Brit face right away. I'm still not entirely sure what that emotion conveys. Tara, I don't know if you've seen the photo, but... I did. It's either look... Okay, so what emotion does that speak? What what is that? <laughs> what raw emotion is it? Is it excitement? Is it constipation? What is it? It looks like confusion. Oh, it could be confusion. Yes, it's kind of like the 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 dress thing where it's like people see it differently. You know, it can mean a lot to. Oh God, now the chat's flooded with it. Oh, that is the thing of nightmare. Someone added sunglasses to it. Californicated. Oh God. Wait, how do you add the sunglasses to it? I don't know, but they did. That's amazing. Um, but I also submitted Steimer's emote. It probably hasn't been approved yet, but keep an eye out for that one. I, and I think I found the right face for mine. It's going to be a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> I had tweeted over the weekend that Steimer's just too cute in all of her photos, and it's hard to find a good one for, for an emote. But uh, we're really excited to be on Twitch and doing more live streaming. So if you guys have not turned on your notifications or have not followed our channel, we would greatly appreciate that support. We, of course, will be back with the Friday show as per scheduled in your podcast feeds at youtube.com slash what's good games. And this week we have another special guest. Jessica Chobot is joining us for the Wednesday uh, <gasps> taping for the Friday show, which is exciting. Um, but... Before we talk any more about what's happening later in the week, Brittany, do we have hmm. any more announcements about today? I don't think so. Okay, I'm, great. I, I, real talk, I have like 18 windows up and Tara's face isn't showing up, so I'm scrambling around like a mad woman trying to get this <laughs> shit to work. So, You're like, I lost Tara. Where did Tara's face go? I know. Uh, I well, see I, it. I can still see Tara's I want to know face. why I didn't get the memo to wear red today. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Well, it might just be the color of my computer screen. This is more of like a like a coral, coral, yeah. like an orangey coral. It looks I don't traditionally red. wear this color, but it came as part of one of my Stitch Fix boxes. So I was like, hmm, might Stitch as well check it out. I've never tried that. I'm before. enjoying it. Stitch Fix. Well, let us tell you about stitchfix.com slash <laughs> WGG. They're actually the not only a sponsor on today's They're show. not. They used to sponsor us, but that's the only way I get new clothes now. Honestly, <laughs> is I and they just launched this new thing where you can shop through their app. So they're like, okay, you bought this pair of pants, and now you can get this shirt to match it, and vice versa. And I'm like, oh my god, send me more. So it's a way to shop while we're all at home. As if we all it. need to buy clothes to go nowhere. I know. No, <laughs> I'm actually looking it. for a that's new pair of slippers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the slipper. The slipper market is an underserved market in, in quarantine times. I feel like everybody now is loafing around the house being like, my feet need to be covered with something cute. Yes. Yep. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and get into the news. You guys may have seen this morning, 
Final Fantasy VII Remake reviews are out. The embargo has lifted. And it's overwhelmingly positive, but there are a couple naysayers out there. Brittany, you want to go ahead and recap some of the reviews that you found for Final Fantasy? I would love to. Okay, so currently on Metacritic, it's sitting at an 87. And so I pulled two reviews here because I think both kind of spoke to me a little differently. So GameSpot gave it a 10 out of 10. And they said, regardless of your history with the original game, Final Fantasy VII Remake is an astounding achievement. The wait for its release was a long one, but in gameplay, story, characters, and music, it delivers. The wait was worth it. For first-time players, it's an opportunity to understand why Final Fantasy VII is held in such high regard. It's the chance to experience a multifaceted story that grapples with complex subjects matter, be in the company of memorable characters, and be moved by their plights. For returning fans, this isn't the Final Fantasy VII your mind remembers. It's the one you always knew it to be. And then EGM gave it a 3 out of 5, which if you go on Metacritic, that translates to like a 60. So it it was a little like, huh? But the review is, the impact of its best moments is stretched too thin, its pacing skewed by overindulgence and busy work. It's not hard to wonder if adapting a larger chunk of the game, allowing the Midgar section to exist without needing to be drawn out so much, would have created something that wasn't paced quite so unevenly. That the strength of the material still comes through and fits and, st- and starts is testament as wait testament as much to what was designed more than two decades earlier as it is the as it is to the remix interpretation of it that was difficult um yeah so full disclosure square enix provided us with codes so thank you to them we got our codes um over the weekend so neither none of us have been able to actually finish the game yet i'm about 15 hours in right now so i'd say maybe like a third ish and what it's been interesting to read these reviews because I agree with the GameSpot review in the sense that this last line, for returning fans, this isn't the Final Fantasy VII your mind remembers. It's the one your heart always knew it to be. And then what's interesting, if you go to EGM, they're talking about the fluff and the padding, as are some other reviewers. Um, but the TLDR, because we're going to go into our deep dive on the Friday show, is I think this game is fantastic. I've had a lot of, you know, I'm a pretty level-headed person. I'm not a very emotional person. But within the first five to ten minutes of playing this game, I had to sit my controller down and turn to Jason, who was playing Doom or something. And I said, I am overwhelmed with emotion right now. Like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I wanted to play the game. But I was like, oh, it was just so magical. And a lot of people are complaining about fluff and padding. But I think those are the that fluff and that padding are the reasons why we're excited for this remake, right? We know this is going to be the beginning of Midgar, and this is a chance for us to get a deep dive with these characters that we haven't been, in a way we haven't been able to before. And I think um, if you're new to the series or if you're a longtime fan, you're going to absolutely love this game. It's really, really special. That's awesome. I'm definitely excited to see more thoughts and things from people to hear what you have to say. I know this is a game that you've been highly anticipating for a long time. Um, Steimer is playing it as well. Um, she's got a really interesting history with the fam- Final Fantasy franchise. And then, of course, me. You guys all know that my only <laughs> real experience is playing a very limited amount of Final Fantasy fifteen, a very limited amount of the Final Fantasy nine remaster with Alexa Ray, and now, of course, Final Fantasy seven Remake. Oh, it looks like we have a level one hype train coming in the Twitch chat, which is very exciting. What's up, Blind Beard? I'm glad you like the glasses. Got to have them on to see. Um, so I feel like we should kind of pin most of our Final Fantasy seven conversation for the Friday show when we'll, we'll have a lot more time with the game and we can bring mm-hmm. Steimer into the conversation. Uh, Tara, are you a big Final Fantasy fan? Have you ever played a Final Fantasy game? I haven't, but I've been exposed to, you know, having worked with, uh, you know, Square Enix before I've been exposed to a lot of their games and, and have seen them. And I know that there's huge fanatics out there and people are really excited oh. for the game. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, definitely. I would say, I would say, especially with you know the Last of Us Part Two getting delayed indefinitely. I mean, it was delayed out of this window anyway. Um, it's really kind of the only giant AAA game that we have now for a little while, right? Is there a big one I'm missing? I don't think so. I'm gonna consult my handy dandy calendar. Blind gamer, St- gamer Steve in chat. Hello, friend. Asks, how's the game? Wait, how is the game for possible newcomers to the franchise? Yeah, you don't. It's great. You don't need to know anything about Final Fantasy before. It's good for new and returning. Uh, yeah, yeah, girl. I don't see any other major releases. That's it then. I guess everyone's gonna well, be playing Final Fantasy VII. Ghost of Tsushima is still in June. So that holds on. Well, that's two months away. So that's plenty of time to to get through this game. So we will 
pick up this conversation uh, later on in the week when we have more time with the game. And of course, when the game is out, and don't worry, it will be a spoiler-free conversation. We know that the story is super important for this game, and we will keep all thoughts about not spoiling it um, for anybody. I mean, obviously, if something was in the original game that's the same in this game, I feel like that's fair game, maybe? How do you feel about that, Britt? Uh, you know me. I hate spoilers of any kind. I even hesitated to talk about the ending of Resident Evil 3 on the last week's show. So You did. You know. And then I forced you into it. I was oh, like, yeah, and that I game it. is old. That game is old. Let's just talk about it. You have a way. Um, before we move on to the next story, Tara, I would love to hear from your perspective about... Um, what Metacritic is and why it's important for video game reviews. Because I think a lot of people out there use Metacritic as a tool, but they really maybe don't know exactly what it is as a platform. And so I'd be curious to kind of hear your perspective on like um, when you're working with outlets and the importance to of Metacritic to the review process and like kind of what it is. Yeah, so Metacritic is a platform that has relationships with m- um, multiple um, outlets, right? And so when an outlet that has a relationship with Metacritic, that is a Metacritic-affiliated site, um, they will get aggregated onto Metacritic, and then there's given an average based on platform. Um, and, I, you know, essentially, you know, a lot of uh, development and the success of the game, um, you know, they depend on the, you know, the overall score for Metacritic. So it has a lot of weight to them. Okay. So Metacritic then... Um, I guess is like the de facto place to get video game review scores. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I just think that sometimes, like you were saying earlier, Brittany, about like EGM score, that was a pretty decent score. And then it translates into a lower Metacritic score. So it's not an exact science. And I think that's where it sort of, you know, hurts, uh, you know, when you're looking at scores, because it doesn't exactly translate into the score that you were looking at. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. on the actual site. So for me, it's always good to look at the site, um, read the full review, then just default to Metacritic. Makes sense. Yeah, I know. Definitely. I always click on the full review as well. So one of my uh, favorite places to go for reviews, because I just love the way they put them together, of course, is our friends at Easy Allies. They always seem to do a, a really wonderful job with their video reviews. And they have such a great, diverse talent of guys over there that have a lot of different experience with games that I think they really do reviews justice. So props to Easy Allies for making kick ass reviews. Um, okay, so let's move on to our next story then. This next story is something that broke late last week, actually, and is kind of a big bummer, but is not, you know, <clears throat> surprising. Okay, here we go. So The Last of Us 2 director says no decision yet about a digital-only release as he reflects on the delay. So this write-up comes from GameSpot. Sony recently delayed The Last of Us Part 2 indefinitely due to the global COVID-19 crisis, and now director Neil Druckmann has commented on the delay and responded to a number of key questions. Discussing the delay on the latest PlayStation blogcast, Druckmann said it's a big bummer to have The Last of Us Part 2 <laughs> delayed yet again. He said, quote, it's a bit rough. You're working on something for so long, for some of us, for years. There's a built-in anticipation. You can't wait for this thing that you've been crafting and honing and sometimes dreaming about. You can't wait to get it into people's hands and see their reactions, what they like, what they didn't like, or where the story takes them. And now you've got to put all of that on hold because the world is conspiring against <laughs> us, which is... I mean, maybe a little, maybe a little dramatic. Uh, Dreckman said he's feeling positive overall because he knows The Last of Us Part Two is coming along well from a development standpoint. Another quote, internally, we know we have a great game. It's just we have to wait a little bit longer to get it out there to fans. I know fans are disappointed. Believe me when I say this, we're just as disappointed, if not more so, to be able to get the game out on time. End quote. Druckmann said Sony is considering all kinds of different options for how to release the game. There were concerns about being able to get physical copies of the game to all the retailers around the world. And all digital isn't great either because that could limit the game's reach for those who wanted a physical copy. Right now, he said, quote, we're looking at all sorts of different options. What's the best way to get it all to our fans as soon as possible? That's going to take time. So I think don't really think we need to read the rest of what is in the story. If you guys want to get the entire uh, details, of course, GameSpot.com is where you can find that story. Essentially, he's just reiterating what a lot of people were 
you know, kind of speculating about. Oh, are you laughing at Brittany taking a shot? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I was going to pour one out for The Last of Us is Coming. It's actually just an excuse to drink this Vail chocolate flavored vodka, which is absolutely terrible. So um, t- before we get into the story, Tara, so the thing with Brittany and in, in these little minis that she has is that she and Jason has some have this stockpile of minis. And so she's just slowly making her way through the most random flavors of alcohol nice. that you could probably find. Nice. Yeah, that's so I'm, I'm down to the chocolate vodka. I drank all the whiskeys first thing. So now I'm drinking this. But yeah, you, know, you were talking about thing. the emote earlier and what it looked like. And if it was, you mm-hmm. know, and I said confusion. Actually, you made the same face just now with that vodka. <laughs> so I think I think we know what it is now. <laughs> oh, it's just another interpretation of art, Tara. That's all that, that is. Uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> The Last of Us being delayed. Obviously, this is a huge bummer. And they also delayed Iron Man VR, which didn't make it into the story. But that's another game that is not coming. When was that supposed to come? Was that also May? I right. thought that that was, oh. yeah. I thought that that was in the middle of Q2. I would have to double check what the original release date is. If somebody in chat happens to know it off the top of their head, that would be excellent. But Yeah, um, so from the interview in the article, um, basically what he says is, we're at the one-yard line. We're done. We're ready to go. We um, Okay, we are just squashing bugs at this point, but it sounds like, you know, read between the lines, it comes down to, hey, you know, we want, because not everyone, you know, has digital, not everyone can use digital, and they don't want to do a staggered release. You kind of saw that with the what Square did with Final Fantasy VII to a much lesser extent, right? But they actually went for it. They released the game in Europe and Australia, and I think it was also Europe, or was it just Australia? Either way. And then, you know, even though some people have the game, they're still refusing to release it early because of like marketing, blah, blah, blah. So it's on one hand, I can respect it. But on the other hand, it's like, I want it now. Give it. Yeah, I, I definitely see why it's a smart business decision. I had tweeted that, you know, it made sense in the world where there's a, a, you know, a pandemic with an infectious disease happening. It's, you know, feels a little insensitive to release your game about a world with a pandemic infectious disease happening. Granted, it's a very different type of situation. Um, And then a lot of people came back with some really good insights saying, you know, like while the content of the game certainly doesn't, you know, lend itself as being the best place for a release it's really more about the physical distribution of the game and not being able mm-hmm. to get it to retail and how that would hurt global sales and ultimately would hurt sony's bottom line if it had this fractured release schedule and i thought that that was clearly you know a much better insightful answer yeah. um tara how do you think the potential for a digital only release is going to affect titles. I mean, in your experience, how important is retail still to publishers? I think it's dependent on the publisher, right? And, and, and what their, you know, end goal is, um, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, um, you know, digital only, I mean, in this day and age, right. That a lot of people are just playing, you know, getting codes that way. Um, but I think it really is just dependent on, you know, people's preference. Um, some people enjoy the physical because they're collectibles for them and they like the art or, you know, so it's something to have in their library. And I mean, look, Britt, look at your, look, look at behind you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and then I see a lot of things, you know, now that we're in quarantine, I see a lot of people like cleaning out their closets and you're seeing like old, like N64 or like 3DS or, you know, some sort of like PS2 and like they have all their collectibles there and they're sort of like cleaning and rearranging them and stuff like that. So I I think from a collectible standpoint, that'd be really cool, um, you know, for for the retail. But I think in the end, uh, I mean, it depends on, you know, you just want it immediate, you know, like I know there was a few people, I think for Animal Crossing that they pre-ordered the game um, and then they ended up having to buy digitally anyway because they got a notification that was like, oh, you're not getting the physical copy. Um, so, um, it's cool to have that in terms of a collectible. So you can always get that later, but in terms of playing time, they wanted it right away. Mm -hmm. No, I think that that makes sense. I think the idea of being part of that water cooler moment when a brand new game comes out and wanting to be there right at launch is very real for gamers, especially when it's a very highly anticipated game like Animal Crossing was like the last of us part two is, um, I, I'm really curious to see how they're going to pick up the launch and and kind of make it 
another zeitgeist moment. I'm concerned that if they delay too far, they're going to start creeping in <coughs> against other major titles that are going to kind of steal market share from them. Is that something that you guys have to think about when you do your PR strategies about looking at who else is coming out in the space, Tara? Or is that, are you guys just like, no, my game is my game. I'm only focused on this. Well, I mean, I think, you, I mean, I think you always have to look at the landscape, right? When you're doing any approach to anything is like, you know, what other competing events are out there or competing titles or something that's going to, you know, consume, you know, editorial mind share. These are all things that take into consideration when you're developing a campaign. So you just have to be sort of mindful of that and figure out what the right strategy is. But there's a lot of moving pieces. It's not just PR, right? So when you're planning something, you know, it's like, you know, the sales channels, marketing, everybody sort of plays a role. And collectively, you come together with like, what's the best strategy, you know, in terms of timing or, or how things work out. So I think it's, you know, it's not just a, a one, you know, uh, person thing, but definitely something that we all sort of take into consideration when we're planning something. Mm-mm. That yeah, makes I guess sense. Going back to the physical distribution, <clears throat> The game clearly hasn't even gotten gold yet. So I guess there's going to be obviously logistical challenges with even getting the game printed. So that also makes sense. I don't think they actually talked about about that specifically in here, though. And also, you know, playing going back to what you were also saying, Andrea, about is it bad timing with like the actual IRL issues that we're having for me? And I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but playing games kind of in a post-apocalyptic setting right now is actually kind of cathartic. And I'm not sure why, but playing Resident Evil 3 was a very like grand escape for me knowing full well that playing that game and it's it opens with you know cdc warnings and urging people to stay inside it was like oh, okay well for some reason i found that more of an escape than i had found like yakuza or even final fantasy 7 to some extent i'm not sure if anyone else in chat understands what i'm saying right now but if so let i me do know. i do get it because i have been playing in the division two, which oh, is go. a way closer real world scenario to what yeah. we're going through than Resident Evil is, right? I mean, Unfortunately. this idea that there's this green flu pandemic and, you know, walking around and seeing these like makeshift hospitals set up in Washington, D.C. And I mean, it really feels like it could be like this echo of, of what, you know, could happen if like a pandemic really gets out of control and, and takes over. And I get that that's really triggering for some people, but I don't know. It didn't take, I'm with you that it didn't take away from my enjoyment of playing in the division. So (laughs) Tara, what are you playing right now as an escape game? So I'm playing with Alexandra a lot. um, And I actually, we're playing animal crossing and Alexandra's an interesting player with that game because I'm like, want to keep moving and like, Mm -hmm. you know, achieve and upgrade my house and do all these things. And Alexandra's like, let's paint for 45 minutes. <laughs> and so I have to sit there and watch the paint. And then I'm like, okay. And then like, I'm like, all right, come on, we got to move. We're going we're gonna to go fishing. We're going to do this. We're going to sell to Tom. Like, and I'm like trying to keep the pace. And then she's like, wait a second, let me catch the 45th butterfly or moth. And I'm just like, <laughs> so it's interesting to play with like what her objectives are. And Unfortunately, we have a, one switch, so we're sort of taking turns and we're playing on, you know, on our TV. And so, um, mm. you know, like I watch her, but, you know, we're supposed to share that, but it's mostly me watching her <laughs> because she's like, <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> and it's fun because, um, you know, it's a game that, you know, obviously it's, you know, family friendly. and We can play together um, right now. And because a lot of the games that I have from my current clients are a little more mature for her. Um, and so, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, so this was like a perfect game for me to be able to, you know, play with her. Also, I had to create a separate Slack channel because my entire team is playing it, not mentioning names, but Lizzie, (laughs) but anyway, um, (laughs) she's highly called out. She's highly addicted to it. And, um, she's way far advanced than I am right now. Like, because, you know, Alexandra's still painting, she, uh, you know, there's a lot of banter that goes on. It's actually really fun. And so I created a separate Slack channel just so that people can have their banter there, especially if there's like a couple of people on the team that aren't playing this way. They don't have to be like exposed to the alert alert and thinking it's like an important work thing. And it's like, no, how much are your turnip selling for right now? You know, (laughs) 
The turnips, man, they dominated my Twitter feed all weekend long. <laughs> yep. Everybody wanted to talk about turnip prices. Yep. Um, well, we'll have to get you hooked up with the What's Good Games custom t-shirt. Do you know that you could wear What's I Good saw Games that. t-shirt in Animal Crossing? I actually saw yeah. Brit tweet that, and I was like, so cool. Yeah. Heck yeah. That came from a, from a kind of funny best friend. There's a bunch of kind of funny shirts you can wear as well. So, uh, well, I don't want to go down, uh, animal yeah, crossing yeah, yeah. rabbit hole. You don't want to talk about turnips <laughs> for the rest of the show? No, I really don't. Do we don't. want to talk Sorry, about yeah. Tiger King again? I know you guys covered that. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. That was such a fun conversation. If you guys missed Friday's episode, we have a Tiger King spoiler cast where we're talking with Rihanna. Uh, Stimer and I have all seen it. And then Brittany was just like, wait, what? Wait, what? And then what happened? Which is basically the Tiger King story. So I heard they're making crazier. a new episode. In the in the document, I saw. They're I doing was like, what? Yes, they're doing. They're adding an episode. Oh, I saw that too. Like the Lost <laughs> Files or something. I don't know. It, the it'll lost be good files, though. It's like the Lost World Jurassic Park. All right. Next up, we have an IGN announces summer of gaming event in June. So IGN is proud to announce, this is via IGN, of course, IGN is proud to announce our new Summer of Gaming events, a global digital event set to begin this June to bring the latest news and impressions around upcoming games and the next generation of console hardware. IGN will be collaborating with a number of partners for the Summer of Gaming, including 2K, Square Enix, Sega, Bandai Namco, Amazon, Google Stadia, Twitter, Devolvel Digital, THQ Nordic, and more. Expect more details in the coming weeks. The event will include live broadcasts and on-demand programming featuring IGN's editorial coverage of the work game developers from around the world. With E3 2020 canceled, IGN has a suite of programming planned to kick off in early June. It includes publisher presentations with IGN pre- and post-discussions, remote developer interviews, hands-on demos, and preview impressions gameplay news segments recapping the late the biggest announcements and then they go on to say that you can watch this from home and you can participate send in reaction videos vote on announcements they're going to be broadcasting globally and that's basically the tldr of that ijan will bring you more information on the event in the weeks to come but stay tuned for all the latest on our summer of gaming and then related the esa announced its dates for e3 2021 which will be june 15th through 17th and it sounds like they're still going through with this reimagined event at that time man that was that's a lot so i think it's really exciting that Somebody is, you know, at least taking up the mantle for what we're going to be missing in June. I mean, I think we're all like, if I had something to pour out, I would pour one out for E3. Um, Not happening this year. I'm super sad that, you know, everything that happened. But in light of where we're at today versus when the announcement first came in, um, it makes sense. I mean, back then I was angry. I was angry on our show. I was sad. I was, you know full of anxiety. I was in a bad place when when that news came out. And the more that I've had time to reflect, it's like, well, I think that this is actually a blessing in disguise for for the ESA to be able to have the opportunity to revamp. I mean, I definitely would still go down to the Los Angeles Convention Center if they were holding something because I just love E3 so much. But it makes sense that they that they didn't. So IGN essentially is saying, yo, E3 is kind of our Super Bowl and we don't see a world where we don't do something. And if anybody out there with a platform had the ability to bring all of the publishers and the members of the ESA together to put on a live stream, it would 100% IGN. They do a fantastic job. I, of course, have worked with IGN at E3's past and had a fantastic team. They've just got such a great production value that they put together for these major events. So I am glad that somebody is doing it and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they put together. So um, Tara, what did you think about this news? IGN summer of gaming. Yeah, well, obviously I, I, I have a longstanding relationship with IGN and, and talk to them often. I actually think they're a great team. Um, I really love what they've been doing, um, you know, for a long time, but just as of late and, um, I was excited because um, I think there's, you know, a lot of opportunity there um, for the games that I represent. Um, so, yeah, I was excited. Do you think this could, Tara and Andrea, do you think this could become like a new norm or at all? Or do you think as soon as we get E3 back next year, hopefully, that this IGN Summer of Gaming event will go away? Everyone will pivot back to the main convention. I think that this is definitely not going to be a new norm. I think that a digital 
part of the event will become normal because they had been talking about adding a digital showcase for quite some time. If you look at other fan conventions like BlizzCon is, is one that I always go to as a good example of something that has... You okay there, Tara? Tara, can you hear me? Oh, she must have... Maybe she lost us? <laughs> Welcome to What's Good Games. Everything fails. Nothing works. Okay, so great. I'm going to just transition while she figures that out. Okay. Um, so I think, Bert, what I'm trying to say is that where I was picking up there is that... So BlizzCon is one of those events that has an in-person fan element where they do like the you know, the cosplay contests and like hands-on tournaments, et cetera, but they also have a very robust digital ticket experience for all of the reveals and a bunch of other pieces of content that they put together. And I think that they're a really good example of how you can incorporate fans around the world who can't physically be at a show like BlizzCon, but instead, you know, they're able to do something to incorporate them. So that's where I kind of think um, they're going to be going in the future is that they'll have an in-person event because developers are still going to want to showcase builds of the game that they don't feel comfortable putting out, you know, like what, what's the word, like on the internet, right? Like they're not going to mm-hmm. send like a digital demo of some of these games that are works in progress. But I think that there's other games that will be ready to show in a digital sense. No, I'm with you. It's going to be interesting to see what happens um, after this year. See what changes, what sticks, what doesn't. Do you think, Britt, that anybody is going to maybe um, change what they would show at this digital showcase and what they would have showed at E3? Like any big games that we already know that are announced? Not not including things that are unannounced. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know why. If this is the event where you're going to get the spotlight, if you were banking on that E3 spotlight and this is the one IGN's doing and this is something, if all these publishers are getting developer, publishers and developers, it's going to cause big ripples and a big stink in the industry. And I say stink in a good way. It's going to cause a very pleasant stink. Think of like, I don't know what a pleasant stink even would be classified as. It's going to, anyway, it's going to cause a thing. People are going to be really interested in it. It's going to draw attention. And so I feel like, you know, why wouldn't you show your thing if it's ready to go? Then why wouldn't you at this event? If you're, especially if you're going to have the IGN, you know, pre-imposed, it is, it and it is, is the one, the and, one only and only thing. thing. I feel like you're going like to get more eyeballs. Well, we'll see. Hmm, it's an interesting thought. Yeah, I am going to be very curious how they put it together and how they're going to do demos. I mean, they have a very comprehensive studio both here in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. So they'll definitely be able to um, do demos and interviews and things like that. So, um, who knows? Maybe um, yes. yes, we can hear you, Tara. I don't know what happened, but it just totally <laughs> dropped me. The funny part, though, Tara, is that we actually never lost you. I can still we could still hear you. We could still see you. You just lost you just lost us. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so was I like? <laughs> Kind of. That's okay. ASMR, ASMR, baby girl. But you guys can hear me through my fancy new microphone now, right? Yes, Mm -hmm. we can. All right. Okay, so a funny little aside about this. So um, when I was talking with Tara about guesting on the show, also props to her drinking champagne. I want some, and we will drink some later. Well, before Um, you go into that story, I just have to say that, so I'm, I'm sure people have seen us post stuff before. About, you know, just in general about, uh, you know, our relationship and champagne and oysters. And so it was yes. only, <laughs> it was only a thing that I needed to do as the, the, you know, first time being a guest on your show that I had to break out the voodoo. Yes. Ooh. I love that you have the, because you have the blur my background on, it's all blurred out, but that's okay. I- we can still see that iconic yellow label. <laughs> Yellow it label, looks like baby. one of those things on TV where they blur out the label because they didn't get permission to show it. But right? Okay. Like they didn't pay for the branding or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're my favorite. I wish I was drinking champagne with you, but we'll do it again sometime soon. Um, good. So we were just 
we were just finishing up to kind of talking about how we're looking forward to what IGN is going to be bringing with their summer of gaming and how it's probably a blessing in disguise for the ESA to have some time to kind of retool what this is, but that I very, very confidently think that there will be a physical presence for E3 if E3 comes back, which obviously they announced the dates for 2021, so it, mm-hmm. it's coming. Um, did we talk about those dates? We yeah. did, right? The 15th through the 17th. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's going to be interesting to kind of see how it evolves as an event. And I'll be there. I love E3. Britt will Me be too. there. She loves E3. Tara, will you be there? Of course. I haven't missed. She- oh, wait. Actually, I did miss. Because when Alexandra was little, but I, I think I missed those uh, those two ones that were in Santa Monica. Probably didn't miss much. <laughs> so how long have you been going to E3, Tara? Oh, boy. My first one was in Atlanta in 1997. Fuck Atlanta! Yes. Old school E3. <laughs> I bet you there's a bunch of people in the chat that didn't even know that E3 was in Atlanta. Yes, it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I got hired so e3 also was once in may not june and i got hired i think it was like april and my birthday's in may so i like it was like either i celebrated my birthday there or like it was right around there and we ended up celebrating anyway or something like that but it was like oh you're hired by the way you're going to e3 and i didn't even know what it was <laughs> um and so i was like okay cool like you know what do i do and they were like well at the time i was you know the assistant so i was just like reading people, you know, checking them in. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I get to go to Atlanta. Yay. Like, didn't know. <laughs> wow. 97. Yeah. Very different. E3 very is very good. different. Yep. Uh, sorry, I was just responding to somebody in the chat. Um, people on Twitch acknowledging that there's just some different levels in the microphones. And I said, that's just one of the, be- that's just one of the things that happens when you use Skype. Um, you know, and everyone has a different mic, so, but that I would fix it for the, uh, for the podcast. So don't fret, but we appreciate your, your patience. I even upgraded. I know it sounds good when you, when you're talking into it. (laughs) I'll get better. I'll get better. I promise. Mic discipline is a, is a skill that you have to learn. We've had some people talk way back here and i'm like i can't hear you though if you're if you're back here you have to get right up into really the close mm-hmm. and it gets to the point where even if you're not shooting anything if there's a microphone in front of you and you're having, trying to have a conversation conversation with someone you can't help but get your mouth right on the microphone so we've done that so many times in studio we're not even recording anything simon and i are just trying to have a conversation about anything while i think andrea is setting up production and Sam and i are talking to each other but we're doing it like this so we're making sure we're talking into the microphone it's kind of the <laughs> Well, now Why are we doing like this to our neck? <laughs> um, okay, so let's finish up some news with this rumor that oh. I'm going to read that I know Brittany is very excited about. So this story, or this rumor, I should say, comes from Video Games Chronicle, who's been doing a lot of rumor reporting lately. Um, Resident Evil 8 will release in 2021 with serious series departures. A first-person Resident Evil 8 will release in 2021. Um, with serious departures from other mainline entries. That's according to info provided by credited insider Dusk Gollum and verified by VGC, which points to a release on current and next-gen consoles next year. Like 2017's Resident Evil 7, the 2021 game will feature a first-person perspective and a return for the previous protagonist, Ethan Winters. However, the game will feature many narrative and mechanical departures for the series, including hallucination and insanity segments, as well as enemies based on mythical creatures such as werewolves. As revealed by Dusk Gollum, the game was originally intended to be a third entry in the Resident Evil spin-off series, Revelations. However, following positive feedback from Capcom's testing department, it was decided that the game would be transitioned into a mainline installment. Resident Evil 8 would mark the third consecutive annual release for the series following this month's Resident Evil 3 remake and 2019's Resident Evil 2. Okay. Now, to our Resident Evil expert and correspondent, Brittany Brambaca. Why, thank you, Andrew Renee. Okay, so like we said, grain of salt here. Uh, aesthetic Gamer, a.k.a. Dusk Golem, you know, has leaked stuff successfully in the past. Also, he recently got the Silent Hill Konami thing wrong. So take it with a huge grain of salt. Anyway, so yeah, Resident Evil 8, it, 
I believe that they're going for annual releases at this point. So I totally believe that part. It's just interesting that they're taking this game that was supposed to be Revelations. And Revelation, the Revelations games have always been kind of canon, but mostly spinoffs. You know, it's stuff that doesn't quite make it into the mainline numbered series. So that's kind of how Resident Evil, actually that is how Resident Evil 3 and Nemesis originally came to be. It was a spinoff series. It was a spinoff game that Capcom's like, yo dog, we need this. And they pulled it in and then made it Resident Evil 3. So it wouldn't be unheard of for them to kind of like pull it in and make some tweaks and make it fit into the numbered series. So if this is the case, interesting. I'm not going to hate it because I haven't tried it yet. Werewolves sound like an interesting um, uh, development to add to the series. Granted, Resident Evil 4, we did have um, suits of armor that were possessed by Las Plagas that attacked you. So, hey, Capcom is weird. Capcom's always just been a little weird. I feel like they need someone to kind of reel them in and be like, this isn't the game for that. But you know what? They're going to break free like a phoenix rising from the ashes and do whatever they got to do. But I thought this part was interesting, regardless of its... If, if it's true or not. So this is through IGN, they're reporting. Golem, the leaker, also stated that a gameplay sequence of Resident Evil 8 had been leaked to him featuring, quote, a sequence where you're in a village with multiple routes, trying to make your way to a castle, being attacked by beastmen, zombies in armor with swords, and a witch that laughs a lot. I mean, come on. This feels like it's Resident Evil, though. Like, there's all kinds of weird, scary, like, crazy stuff in that game, right? I, yeah, yes, kind of. I mean, like, I, it, it, I it, ran it, into it, liquors again when I was playing Resident Evil 3 with you last week. Those things right. are terrifying. Yeah, but that's like an umbrella-created thing. The witches, the beastmen, the zombies in armor and sword. Like, here's the thing. This sounds weird enough that I could believe it, because Capcom is a weird developer and publisher, and I love everything they do, for the most part. They do crazy shit, so I, I'm willing to believe this. And this has been a rumor that's been swirling around for a while. It doesn't sound super Resident Evil, but it sounds super Capcom, so I could see it being a thing. Anywho, now that I finished Resident Evil 3, I need new Resident Evil shit to talk about. So that's what we're going to talk about. There's our, I don't, there's our rumor mill. I don't blame you. Um, Tara, I know that you're not necessarily a Resident Evil fan, but I would be curious to hear from you about rumors and leaks and things like that obviously this is something that you guys deal with all the time in public relations um you know when you're working on a hypothetical title um and a leak happens kind of what's your like first thought are you do you like panic do you have a strategy like how do you approach something like that i don't panic anymore (laughs) (laughs) like years in the industry it's like uh you know leaks happen um uh, somebody actually uh reached out to me recently because they had a leak happen to them um, in the news that they were preparing an embargo. It leaked and it was the first time it happened to them. Um. And so they texted me about it. I know. And that, and that's the thing I, a lot of people, you know, end up reaching out to me for, you know, guidance or, or whatever. But I was like, Oh yeah, like that happens. You know, it's, it, it sucks when it does because you work so hard on like, you know, having this one thing hit a beat or a time. But it does happen, um, you know, and it usually happens uh, most of the time. It usually happens, not always, but right around an embargo lift, right? Somebody like honest thing, like, you know, they mismanage like the time zones, right? Especially if you're working on something global, right? There's so many like, am I close enough? Um, There's so many different (laughs) time zones and everything like that. And so sometimes... So it sounds like you've experienced enough leaks and snafus that you're like, it's just part of the game. It's just part of what happens. So basically what she's trying to say, everybody, is that the podcast is going up late today because I'm going to have to do some aggressive editing. (laughs) We've experienced this so many times, Andrea, that, you know, it is what it is. Just like with Tara's leaking snafu. Right. When leaks happen, you just deal with them and you don't freak out. And just like Tara doesn't freak out anymore when a leak happens, look at me not freaking out, knowing oh, exactly internally how much work. You're, you're screaming, but that's okay. How much work is ahead of me this afternoon? <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't work because it's the audio that we needed from that recording. But you I know, do this love is it. this is the little mini E3 thing. I'm so happy we're doing because Tara like brings the life to the party, and this is basically what every meeting up with the two of them is like Tara is just like doing her thing Andrew is just like sighing and rolling her eyes and Tara just keeps doing her thing I'm feeling I feel like we're there I feel like I feel like we're at E3 and GDC and all those preview events that got canceled it's okay 
I love it so much. Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, it's just the thing that I love about what's happening right now is that we have been dealing with these kinds of technical issues at What's Good Games since we launched. If you guys remember our very first launch here back in May of 2017, we hit our video stretch goal within a couple of hours of launching our Patreon and then I had to scramble to add video. I was excited because I love doing video production, but adding video into a podcast just makes it infinitely more difficult. But I love watching all of these major broadcast networks doing essentially like FaceTime for Mm -hmm. their like multi-million dollar Emmy award winning television shows. And I'm like, oh, it's almost like I have a professional studio that I spent a long time learning how to use and build that looks way better than The Tonight Show or anything (laughs) you see on Bravo or ESPN. I'm like, yeah, turns out video conferencing, video chatting, not as easy as you thought it was, huh? I want you to know this is my first live interview. And and I'm understanding all the things, the technical difficulties. Yeah. We've had our fair share. And, you know, as much as we'd like to pretend like everything goes off without a hitch, that's never how it is. Ever. Never, ever. We're going to go ahead and transition now into Dear WGG. This is where we take your questions that you can submit to us every week at whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG. Just like it sounds. And if you can't join us live on Monday mornings, you can submit questions at any point in the week. And this morning, I made a call on Twitter for questions specifically for Tara. And boy, oh boy, did people deliver. We have quite a few questions in here for you. So I was going, I put a couple of my own questions just, just, you know, cause I like interviewing people. Um, but we have so many here. I feel like we should kind of just, um, go straight to them. So I'm in the dock here, Brittany. So I'm just going to kind of grab a couple. So the first one I think would be interesting to hear from you on Tara comes from Jason F. Jason writes for Tara, what's the toughest part about having the job you do while also being a parent? What advice would you give for striking a balance between work life and family life? It's definitely, I mean, obviously, you know, we all work remote at Tara Bruno PR. So, you know, there, everybody has, you know, different situations um, that they're juggling. And for me, it's my new puppy, Maddie, and (laughs) my daughter. And I think, well, when she's at school, it's a lot easier because I, I have, you know, six straight hours while I'm having uninterrupted time. But now that she's being homeschooled, she's older, so it's a, a little bit easier. But I know there's a lot of people that have little ones. So I think it's, you know, just managing to be able to find, you have to carve out time for your child the same way you would carve out time for a conference call or a work day. So you have to find what that is. Um Fortunately for me, Alexandra is, you know, a teen, so she wakes up relatively late when she doesn't have school. Um, so I don't have to, you know, it's like a, a noon, so I can get a good three, four hours in. <laughs> she sleeps until noon? Girl, you never did as a teenager? I was no. sleeping. I had a military mom. I was up in the morning, like the dawn, okay? <laughs> yeah, I was always up playing video And you was forced to do burpees at like 6 a.m. <laughs> Pretty much. My mom will attest. We were a burpee household. (laughs) Yeah, no. So I I would just say just, uh, you know, carve, plan your days ahead of time, have your schedule and then find the pockets of time where you and your partner can just figure out, you know, what during the day, you know, how you can sort of um, delegate those responsibilities. And, you know, if it's just on you, um, then I would just say just to carve out some time, you know, sometimes I remember when Alexander was real little, um, and I was just starting into contracting, I would have to, you know, put on a, um, you know, like a movie that she really loved for an hour just to get through things. And then I could, you know, then pay attention or sit down with her. So I just, yeah, I think more and more people work, uh, you know, remotely. And especially now, you know, given the circumstances, I was just on a call not too long ago, somebody's five-year-old walked in, everybody understands, like, that's just how it is now. And so you just sort of figure it out and roll with it. We had a question in here, and I don't see it, but it was from Billy Goat 15 and their question was, how has PR changed in the video game industry from when you started to today? I would say probably the biggest change is that, um, well, two biggest changes. One is the campaigns used to be a lot longer. 
we used to do an announce and then like, you know, it'd be like an 18 month, two year, but now with digital, right, you can do things, you know, a little bit on the shorter time frame. Um, and then the other thing is, is that there's a lot more trade shows and events, not just standalone events that events that, you know, people are participating in um, a, a global on a global scale. So it's, uh, you know, there's a lot more traveling that I'm doing now than I did, let's say, 10 to 15 years ago. You know, I was always going to like mm-hmm. E3 and, you know, um, maybe it was PAX or something like that. And then, you know, now it's like I feel like, you know, I'm traveling twice, three times a month. Were preview events as common back then, too? Like back in the 90s and early 2000s? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of, you know, the first look preview events and stuff. But we were also, you have to remember, the reason why the campaigns were, I'm just remembering this now, but the reason why the campaigns were a lot longer, too, is because we had a lot more print publications with, you know, longer lead times, you know, three and four months. Mm. Um, And so, you know, we had to sort of backtrack if we were going to time that. Now, you know, most publications you know, are online or have an online component. So we're not sort of heavily reliant on their deadlines. No, that definitely makes sense. Um, I'm looking at this list of questions and there's definitely a lot of people who kind of have the same type of question. Um, And so the the thing that I'm going to ask is the one from um, um, Bridget who asks, is it difficult to transition into games if you have worked PR in a different industry? I'm sure this is something you probably get a lot. Yeah, you know, it's funny because a lot of, um, I think some people think because they've done PR, I'll I'll just go backwards for a second. If I was to go into another industry for PR, um, I would say that there's definitely a learning curve, um, but I wouldn't, you know, most of PR is built upon relationships too, and those relationships that you have. And obviously, you know, if I was to go into cooking, I'd have to build those relationships from the ground up because I don't have any cooking, you know, or, you know, beat editors that I can, you know, talk to at different publications. And obviously there's trades and, and, and whatnot. So it would definitely be a learning curve for me. But, you know, once I sort of got into the rhythm, yeah, you could. Um, I don't think it's especially if you have a passion for something, you're willing to learn it. So I, th- I definitely think you could. There you go, friends. So if you've been thinking about getting into video games PR, maybe now is the time. Ooh, here's um, a question from Andrew Alliance, and this comes from a different angle. How do you decide which influencers you partner with, and what are the signs that an influencer is becoming a liability? Ooh. Mm. No need to name names, of course. No. No. Um, well, I think that I, you know, we have a lot of relationships with a multitude of influencers, and for me, um, and this this goes for just regular publications as well. I work from you know smaller to larger publications, and I try to keep t- treat everybody as you know equals in terms of you know they show an interest and they're interested in covering, um, and they've done good by us. I mean, I'm always open to giving anybody big or small an opportunity to work along with us. I mean, I think I've done a relatively good job at that, um, is just being all inclusive. I think that's really important. Um, I think my team is that way too. Um, and sort of like when we're putting together events, the only time that we ever are sort of, you know, um, a little more selective, um, is probably if we're not having a huge event. Right. And it's like more of this, like, we're going to be more selective to like, you know, a handful of three or four people. And then we talk about who those are. Um, and then in terms of a liability, I'm not sure I know how to answer that question. What, what does that, what does that mean? I think what Andrew's trying to get at is that it's clear that some streamers are shock jocks, for lack of a better term, right? And that not all streamers, in fact, I would say the vast majority of streamers and YouTube content creators don't have professional experience or a professional background in media creation. A lot of them just started out as fans and decided, hey, I want to make content about the things that I love and then built a career out of it. And Obviously, that comes along with some inherent risks when you have people that never, you know, worked underneath, you know, a journalist team that knows about, you know, media ethics and practices and what boundaries are, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think maybe what he's saying is like, you know, is there a time where you look at somebody like that and go, hey, maybe we don't work with this person anymore? I mean, but 
I'm not trying to answer it for you here. I'm just trying to kind of interpret what the question is. And Andrew, I mean, please feel free to write in if you're in the chat, if I interpreted your question wrong. Yeah. So I think, um, I, so one thing I love about this gaming industry is that, um, everybody's pretty tight knit and I have a lot of, uh, respect for, uh, you know, everyone that's in the industry. And I think for PR, we actually try to share information. So if somebody is like not doing the right thing, um, they give you a heads up and vice versa. So that, and then, you know, it's just like, Hey, just want to let you know, you know, this person reached out and, you know, this happened and maybe not going into too much detail. And then you're like, okay, that's a flag for me. Um, and then you take it from there, right? You don't, you know, you, you make your own sort of judgment, but if it's like something that's terrible, then you're like, okay, like we probably shouldn't invite that person back or whatever. Um, but I always try to give somebody that's really interested or trying to make something that's either a fan or, or building their channel, like a fair shake. Um, I think that's what everybody's got to start somewhere. Right. So I think that's really important too. And not to forget that because a lot of people that I, because I've been in the industry for a really long time, a lot of people that um, I knew from, you know, my young age and getting started, um, you know, that I gave a shot at a small site actually ended up at a, a larger site or creating something their own. Um, and they remember that. And I feel really appreciative that they, they take the time to let me know. That's good. I mean, like, listen, I started out, Brittany started out both at very small sites, right? Like this idea that we didn't have a lot of experience. And even though I came from a journalism background, I didn't have any experience working at a big video games journalism outlet. You know, my first job was working with a small blog called thebitbag.com, you know, that had a big enough circulation to get passes to E3, but you know, wasn't Metacritic rated. And so I think like, it's interesting looking at how PR treats different outlets differently. And having been with, you know, a very small place and also having worked with, you know, like a GameSpot or an IGN or a Game Trailers throughout my career and kind of seeing how certain PR people have really treated those relationships differently and others have not. They've just worked with me, Andrea, the person is really kind of fascinating. And, um, which is obviously one of the reasons why what's good games loves working with Tara Bruno. She's the best. And yeah, I think it's, I just want to commend you on that look you have. Cause I know like Andrea said, when I first started, I was just like someone who's working at department of corrections from like nine to five Monday through Friday. I never went to school for anything like this. I never took any writing classes, broadcast, none of that. So I was just like a magic carp out of water flopping around aimlessly. And it's folks like you that really give a fair shake that really do open those doors. And at the time, you know, looking back on it, it might not have seemed like a big deal to you, but when you're a content creator, you Tara, but when you're a content creator just starting, that first review code you get, you'll never forget because it's like, oh my God, like I, I, I'm in it, I've made it, you know, and so it really fills you with confidence. So thank you, Tara, for being awesome. Yeah. And I actually, um, I, I know Andrew and I really, I, I enjoy working with you, Andrew. So thanks for that question. Huh. <laughs> yeah, you probably know co- quite a few people who submitted questions here. Um, I've got another one that a couple of people also wrote in. Um, so I'm going to read it from from Dark Knight 6678 who writes, when working in video games PR, what has been the most challenging part of the job? Um, probably, um, let me think about that for a second. Um, I mean, is, is it working with, is it working with diva developers? Is it working with outlets who break embargo? Is it working with devs who leak their own game? I or mean, there's gotta be a lot of stuff that you've cycle. seen over the years. Uh, no, I would say probably like, you know, just, I, I wish sometimes that there was a lot of me because, uh, we know that I'm always on the go. And I was, just, I just turned to Damien the other day and I was just my husband and I just said, you know, you know, I was supposed to be gone for these past two weeks right now. Like, you know, it's just so weird to me. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge is that I always, so I always want to be everywhere. It's really important for me to be as involved as possible with every single one of my clients products. Um, and I enjoy it. And I think I've said this before and somebody said something to me before on Twitter, but, um, I love my job. I picked the right career. I'm really happy in my profession and I wake up every day and I feel really thankful for what I have. So any challenges that come my way, I welcome them and I just handle them. But probably the most is that I wish that I could duplicate myself like 17 times over. 
<laughs> Don't we all? And stuff like I know you guys have panels and Andrea's like, oh, come to my panel. And I'm like, I would love to, but I can't. I've got this other thing. So like, that's what I wish is that I had more time to do like, you know, I'm always sort of working or thinking about, you know, my next thing for the schedule. So um, I just wish I had more time for for uh, to see everything I wanted to see. Yes, Hermione's time turner is a thing I think all of us would like when it comes to video games. Just more time to do more. Feels like that's the only really finite part of life, right? It's just the time never ending, never changing. You know, that's the time that I cherish. Uh, I cherished when I was on flights, you know. I really enjoyed going from East Coast to West Coast because that would give me six hours of, like, catching up on email or, you know, I have to be careful, obviously, if I'm going to a trade show on a plane and not, you know, work on something that's <laughs> confidential, you know, that's been leaked that way before. Um, oh like, my gosh, right? right? So, but I'm saying like, you hear like, oh, someone, someone was on a subway and saw blah, blah, blah. So I'm not doing that. But like, you know, it's just more or less like just me catching up on email and really putting some thought behind certain things that like, maybe I didn't have a chance to or doing some research or something like that, that sometimes I don't have time for because that's the thing, right? My night will end but then it's like you know I've got my daughter and she wants to watch like Modern Family or something you know? <laughs> like so then I'm like up doing that so it's like you know putting on the different hats so it's just I guess time is probably the biggest challenge but we all figure it out so I guess a good way to I don't I mean I don't want to wrap this because I want to keep talking to you forever but something I think a lot of people are asking how does someone start to get into PR like let's say Joe Blow walks in he's like PR and video games sounds like a cool thing like what should that person try to focus on when they're just starting out I'll be honest with you I took communications in college but I didn't I didn't I I fell into PR I actually wanted to be an accountant um and I think I mentioned this before but I wanted to be an wait 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 hold on I didn't know that to be an accountant I did we never talked about this I was really good at math, um, and I really I loved numbers. I loved accounting. I know weird, but I did, and um, and so I went for a PR position at GT Interactive Software, which was eventually Infogrames, then Atari, um, for an assistant position in the accounting department. And I, you know, I, I don't know if you want to call it like, it, you know, uh, just not knowing. Like I didn't realize that, and I was a huge gamer in the arcades, you know, old school arcades. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't realize that you could um, get a job in, in gaming. I mean, I didn't know there was this whole thing like people develop and code and there's marketing. Like I had no idea. So I went to GT um, and I interviewed with HR. And at the time, they had um, Doom, Quake, Unreal, the first Odd World. Um, and so, uh, there was just, you know, a lot of high level talent. And so I interviewed with HR and he was like, uh, you are not accounting. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, we actually have a position opened in PR. I had no idea what PR was. I was like, okay. And I had an interview with the VP of Corp Com and we hit it off. Corporate communications, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Corporate communications. And she hired me. Um, and then I, I learned the ropes from her. And back then email wasn't, you were calling people, but because I was so new, they didn't want me calling media, but I was faxing press releases. You guys, I was printing. <laughs> yes. Faxes. I remember fax press machines. Releases. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I learned the ropes from one of the very best teachers and, um, and then, yeah. And so, uh, for getting into PR, I would say probably, um, you know, have a love for writing because you do a lot of it, whether it's for press release writing p- pitches, um, you know, um, or just recaps and things for campaigns and PR plans and stuff like that. Um, and then also, you know, just, you know, social, you know, you're very social as a PR person. You're always at events. You're the face of that company. Um, you're representing them. And so, um, and there's a lot of, you know, travel and being social. So if you like to be social and you like to write and you like people like Britt, Andrea, Steimer and Rihanna, (laughs) yeah, come work with us, Uh. then yes, then you would want to be in PR. 
Wow. That sounds awesome. Also, like I need to have some deep cut conversations with you about the fact that you wanted to be an accountant. Um, <laughs> one, one, John T. One John T. Drake in the uh, chat is saying, "Can I just come out to the studio and ask Tara a bunch of questions?" And I was like, "Maybe afterwards we can have the lost files of the Tara Bruno John Drake interview because that oh, would be please. hilarious." Because oh, yeah. for people who don't start talking about Fantasia. Fantasia. <laughs> so this is a, when I, John and I first started dating back when John was working at Harmonix, working at Disney's Fantasia Music Evolve. Tara was doing PR for Disney. And I also ended up working with Tara on Disney Infinity. Everybody remembers that title. But it was Fantasia Music Evolved that I really worked with Tara the most on when we first started to get to know each other. And boy, oh boy, does John have some funny <laughs> stories about working with Tara. <laughs> yes, yep. exactly. All off the record stories, though. Sorry, everybody. Um, they're good. Though. <laughs> I've heard some shit, and they're good. <laughs> um, well, Tara, this has been really fun to have you on the show. We definitely would love to host you here in the studio once travel restrictions have lifted, and we can get you out to the West Coast. I know you have a couple clients that you work with out here, so yes. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show and for sharing some of your wisdom and your insight with us. Thank you so much for having me. And also, the next time I come on your show, can we have champagne and oysters? Uh, the oysters might be challenging, but the champagne is definitely doable. <laughs> uh, we could have oysters not at my house. Okay. Unless you, unless you know how to shuck oysters. I don't know. I saw Jen and, and Greg do some sort of like bring in whatever during this quarantine. Listen, are you from. referring to Jean-Vivre Saint-Ange-Miller? Because we all know that she is like a freakishly good a cook. step above. And I'm not surprised at all if <laughs> Jean-Vivre knows how to shuck oysters. You know Greg didn't do any of that work, right? Some sort of like from water to table or something like that she ordered from like some boat. <laughs> I don't know if it was like crab legs or something. And I was like, what? Y'all can do that. I'll just drink whiskey and order Chipotle and we'll call it good. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I tried to get I tried to get Brittany to eat oysters one time and she was not having it. And I was like, I you just didn't have you just didn't have them enough. It's like coffee. You have to have them a couple of times and figure out what you like and then you'll be hooked. Yeah, I spit that bitch out in the napkin real quick. <laughs> <laughs> she really did. I did. She really did. Um, all right. So here's what we're going to do, everybody. We're going to go ahead and say goodbye to everybody uh, for the podcast and the YouTube video. But then stick around if you're watching us live on Twitch. We're going to read all of the subs that came in because we realized we missed a couple of those last week. Um, but Tara, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we hope that everybody has a great Monday. Bye, everybody. Thank you.